Our reading this morning comes from Proverbs 17, starting in verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and him who ha- and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also. And with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of injustice. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Whoever is slack in his word is a brother to him who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall is his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord. All right, if you would have a seat. Well, in uh, starting this morning, I I have a question for you, or more of a wonder, a curiosity uh, for me to you, and that is, uh, do you have a passage, or maybe it's a set of passages in Scripture that seem to just haunt you? Uh, There are things that kind of follow you around that you remember on a regular basis. Maybe for you, it's uh, Matthew chapter 7, where uh, Jesus is talking and says, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, who do not enter the kingdom. And he goes on to kind of describe what's happening there, that uh, people will respond back to him saying, but we did many things, many great things, works and prophecies in your name. And he'll say, Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Maybe it's a a verse like that, and it's just this, like, could I be so deceived? Could I be deceived in my soul that uh, I could call out, Lord, Lord, and not all the while know that I am not saved? Those things are kind of haunting. For me, I'll be honest with you, what Solomon has to say throughout the book of Proverbs about words and speech, they are things that haunt me because uh, for me, my mouth is one of my biggest problems. Uh, For a lot of you who know me, you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's a big problem. We see it. We see it in you. Not everybody has to wear all of their sin on the outside all the time, but I do. I talk. I'm a talker. It's part of the thing that haunts me. 
Proverbs 10, verse 19, we're not going to study it today, but it says this. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. And you can ask my wife uh, how long I have been haunted by that verse. Uh, I don't, honestly, uh, become very haunted by the passage from Matthew chapter 7. I, I do feel as though, by God's just immense grace, that um, I have said, Lord, Lord, and that he embraces me. I don't have, uh, by God's grace, again, a lack of assurance of salvation. But knowing that this is here, it sneaks up on me from time to time. It says, you're a sinner, Chris. There's dr- great transgression in your life. A lot of talk equals a lot of sin, says this verse. That's the principle of it. And and here's the truth. For all of us, I believe that there are perpetual, lifelong sin struggles that God actually has ordained in our lives, that he uh, uses in our lives to bring us to a place of humility and reproval and drive us towards the cross. And for me, that's my words, that's my mouth. It's one of those things that if you uh, dig through the floor of your proverbial house and you discover that there's a basement there, there's a lot of discouragement just going, man, I can't quite get this under control. I'm not being redeemed. There's just more sin there. And then you spend some time in the basement and you're digging through the the floor of the basement and you get to the point where you discover that there's a dungeon beneath that. A lot of times, verses like this can be like that, just a perpetual source of discouragement. As I said, my mouth is a problem. So, preaching on words and speech today, it feels hypocritical. The truth is, is that this really is one of the areas of greatest sin struggle in my life. And if you're going to go to the Word, especially if you're going to teach the Word, and maybe even more particularly if you're going to preach it in front of a group of people, you discover over time that the more faithful you are to Scripture, the more hypocritical you are. Faithfulness to Scripture actually illuminates those areas of wickedness and just how deeply they go in your life. And so I would love this morning for us to start by way of just praying over this. Not just that God would use a broken vessel, but that he would illuminate something for you as well. Please pray with me. Father, we pray this morning that it would be your word, not mine. Help us all together to see your word, not just the word of scripture that is before us, but to see your incarnate word, Jesus Christ, and to hope in him. Father God, we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Here's, here's what I see across this passage of scriptures and really throughout the book of Proverbs as it relates to the words of our mouths. What I see, think that we see is that the mouths of the wise say the name of the Lord. The mouths of the wise say the name of the Lord. And as we kind of go into this passage, I've kind of uh, broken it up into three sections. We're going to spend the majority of our time in the first one, and that is word to the wise. Uh, Solomon is actually giving us a word to the wise. The second is that we discover where words fail where words actually fail us, and then finally, we'll talk about the word of life. So the word to the wise, where words actually fail, and then we'll see where the word of life comes in to rescue. So Solomon, the writer of most of the book of Proverbs, is doling out wisdom to us, and there's a theme in this section in particular that actually shows us the difference between the mouths of the wise man and the mouths of the foolish person. 
And we see this really from the very beginning. The story of scripture is one about words and mouths and speech. In fact, we see right in Genesis chapter one that God creates by the power of his word. He speaks and then things come into existence. Has this ever happened to you before? For, for, for human beings, I mean, the closest that we get is making a promise, a vow, writing a song or a poem. We can speak out things and they exist in some way, but it's still intangible. It's ineffable. But God himself, by the power of his word, speaks and worlds, galaxies, whirl into existence. Matter, these things coalesce, they come, they form into things by the power of his word. Right from the very beginning, he speaks and things exist. Then he takes man, which he forms out of the earth, and he breathes out of his mouth into man, creating life there. But he goes on to create more things. He speaks to Adam and Eve. He creates relationship. He creates order. He creates law with them. But then Satan speaks into all of it. And when the words of the serpent slide into our hearts, it creates not relationship and order and lawliness, but distrust and deception and destruction. And ever since then, we, we ourselves as human beings have used our mouth and speech for inglorious things. And what Solomon recognizes throughout the book, but especially in this passage where we get some things back to back to back, is that we need wisdom. We need wisdom on how to use our words to be like God and create and build up rather than be like the serpent and cause distrust and tear down. So the first thing that we need to do is hear Solomon's word to the wise. Word to the wise. Let's drop into this handful of verses here and seek to understand and pull out a few principles. Verse 27 says this, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. This is just a good morsel of wisdom for all of us. In fact, it kind of relates to the uh, passage from uh, chapter 10 that I said earlier. And it's good wisdom that even a man like Mark Twain can kind of build on and say, it's better to keep your mouth shut and appear stupid than to open it and to remove all doubt. So there's a certain amount of wisdom that just being quiet affords you. This is something that I've learned the wrong way so many times. But what we need to know is, is that this actually goes deeper Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. We actually see in Matthew chapter 12 this idea that you can actually know what kind of tree it is by looking at the fruit. And then goes on to say, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what is in a person's heart, listen to the words that come out of their mouth. We tell this to our kids often, that we actually can see what is in your heart by the things that you say. My kids from a very young age will say, we can tell what's in your heart by the things that come out of your mouth. And what this is saying is, is that you should be restrained in your words so that you might have knowledge, so that you might be considered wise. So the first point this morning, there on your handout, is the wise are judicious with their words. They're intentional, they're careful because they have knowledge. Even if you just want to appear as though you've had knowledge, Solomon says that there's something right and even good about that. So shut up. That's what Solomon's saying in so many words is uh, try to restrain the things of your mouth. Why would that be? 
Verse 2 gives us an indication of what that might be there. In, verse, uh, in chapter 18, verse 2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. So where we were just talking about knowledge, it says a fool takes no pleasure in the knowledge, no pleasure in the understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Man, what a verse for the present age. Am I right? Everybody's got an opinion and very few actually have knowledge. This we are ourselves living in a world of fools, and we see the daily demonstration of this foolishness on social media, and it's breathtakingly discouraging. In fact, I would love to encourage you. Some of us have to be on social media for our jobs. Some of us actually have the maturity to use it, use it well, use it for godly purposes. The rest of us don't. I would encourage you, get off of it. In fact, I, I can tell you this as a person who in uh, 2011 saw the destruction that it was re just reaping in my heart, and I got off, just off of social media. In fact, there was one thing that was left, and it was YouTube, the damnable YouTube. It got its hooks in me hours each week. And just recently, in the last couple of months, I've gotten off of it. Why? Because there's a lot of foolishness there. There's a lot of lack of understanding there's a lot of expression of opinion. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you can, if God enables you to, I would get off of social media if you can. What I want to do, though, is tell you just a, a simple piece of all of this is that a fool speaks words without knowledge. That's your next point this morning. A fool speaks words without knowledge. So where do, we, where do we come to understand some of this? Where is it that we can go to get some of what is here for us? How do we know at a root basis that a fool takes pleasure in, no pleasure in understanding? And that's where I would tell you that we could go to Job chapter 38, where God has... Um, allowed for Satan to curse Job. He's lost everything. He's lost children. He's lost riches. He's lost property. He's lost friends. He's lost everyone and everything. And he has these uh, people, some of which are called friends, but they're really fools coming around and giving wisdom to him. And so Job does the thing that comes after listening to fools, and that's that he complains and complains and complains. If you were to go and read the book of Job, you're going to hear a lot of complaining. You're going to hear a man who's crying out to God, not in desperation, but out of, for vindication. He's a fool for most of this book, and God answers him out of the whirlwind and says, Job, gird your loins like a man. I'm about to ask you some questions. And God, out of this whirlwind, begins asking all of these questions of Job. Hey, do you know where it was that I stretched the line across the earth, where the foundations are? Where are the, have you seen the storehouses of snow and hail that are stored up for the day of God's judgment? Tell me, you know. He, he comes down to one central point and says, who is this that darkens counsel with wisdom or with words without knowledge? That, that's the basis of this. In fact, he repeats it twice to Job. Who is this that darkens counsel with words without knowledge? A fool speaks words without knowledge. 
There is, within Scripture, something about a foolish opinion standing opposed to the word of knowledge, and we need to behold it. In Job chapter 40, Job's only response to all of God's questioning is something that's very particular. It says, behold, this is the first words that, God, uh, that Job speaks back to God after God has questioned him. He says, behold, I am of small account. How shall I answer you? I lay my hand on what? On my mouth. I have nothing left to say. You have questioned me. I have spoken foolishly to you. I've spoken it foolishly once, and I will not do it again, Job says. He is utterly silenced to the point where he recognized, I've spoken foolishly. I lay my hand on my mouth. So a fool speaks uh, words without knowledge, but the wise man understands and sits silently in front of God and recognizes who the true wise man is. Verse six, on to the next point. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. What a great verse. If you're looking for something to memorize, this is a great one. A fool's lips actually walk into a fight. There's some illustration there, and his mouth invites a beating. His mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to what? Look at that verse there. What is his lips a snare to? Do you know what a snare is? It's something that actually catches you up, that captures you, that enslaves you. Lips are a snare to the soul. And what we learn here is that loose lips beg for a beating. That's your point there. You can fill it in. Loose lips beg for a beating. And that doesn't necessarily have to be one that is physical or that is violent. What I see here is, is that people that are fools actually stir up strife. This is the drama queen. This is the guy that's walking in for an argument. That's who this person is. And they're foolish. They walk into a fight and they invite a beating because loose lips beg for a beating. The fool is someone who is simply unkind and mean-spirited to people, someone who induces drama and stirs up strife. And if we lack self-control in a heated moment, we put ourselves, we put our relationships, we put our communities in danger. That's what Solomon's trying to say. And maybe more terrifyingly, in verse 7, it says this, that a lack of self-control can bring us to ruin and can actually ensnare the soul. We must have some discipline over our mouths. We must be self-controlled in the spirit to not walk into fights or to beg beatings. Okay, not just physical ones, but proverbial ones. We need to be not foolish, but wise. Verse 8 points out something maybe that hits more of us. I don't see very many people here at City Church constantly stirring up strife. I think that that's God's grace. But here in verse 8, we see that the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. These proverbial morsels are whispers because they're not to be heard by others. What are we talking about here? What is Solomon discussing? What is he putting in front of us? He's talking about people who are gossiping. They're whispering because they don't want the person that they're talking about to hear. And they're delicious because gossip is enticing. We crave to be in the know and put others actually below us. 
the, the, the person that uh, desires to be uh, over other people in knowledge or to put other people down is going to be given to actually whisper delicious morsels like this, and it goes down into the innermost parts. Why does it say that it goes down into the inner parts? It's because it gets into us, and it's not easily purged. Have you ever had somebody that's told you something, and it's completely reshaped the way that you think about a person? It goes deep. I had a uh, righteous man named Joe Fuentes many years ago. We were sitting down for coffee, and I was doing this. I'll just confess to you openly. I was gossiping about another person, and he stopped me mid-sentence and said, Chris, stop. I've heard you do this before, and what you're doing is you're actually changing the way that I'm thinking about that man, and I'd quite like the Spirit of God to actually encourage me about this person rather than have you shape my understanding of them. I was like, oh, okay, cool, 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 all right, all right. And so I did what I should have done, and that's uh, test the spirits because he was probably wrong. So I call Sawyer immediately after this coffee, and I'm like, hey, have you ever noticed me? She's like, yeah, 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 you definitely do that. It's something that's kind of in us. We want to be in the know. We want to put other people down. We want to whisper those things, those delicious morsels, and they go deep. They go deep. What we need to understand is that gossip is a poison pill. It goes deep. It goes in and it might be delicious, but it goes down to the inner parts. Gossip is a poison pill. You can fill it in there. I want to hit a couple of things very quickly because there's another couple of pieces of these Proverbs that are good. We're going to walk by them. We're not going to give them their due time. In verse 13, it says that if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So what we know and need to understand is, is that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. There are many opportunities, of course, with uh, us who are parents, we who are parents, to teach this to our kids. Listen to the rest of what I have to say before giving me an answer. We'd love for it to be relegated to children, though, but how often do we begin developing our answer, developing our attitudes, developing our opinions, and giving them right away without any sort of consideration? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Verse 17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until another comes along and examines him. There's a real good biblical principle here that I want to give to you just in a word, and that's hesitate, okay? There's a lot of good that can be had just simply from hesitating. Why? Because someone's prepared to give you the best version of themselves or a story. They're prepared to come and tell you what precisely happened. We guys are really good at this and all of our narcissism to be like, I've got it reasoned out. I can give you the full story. No need to look behind the curtain. And then somebody else comes along and says, uh, what about this? Like, no, pay no attention to that. I've already given you my answer. We ought to hesitate a little bit before forming our opinion. Verse 20 says this, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. What is that talking about? From the fruit of a man's mouth. Now, that can mean a lot of different things. Here's the way that I take it. I think that there is actually, God has created us to be communicators. 
And for many of us, we grew up in families that didn't necessarily foster that in us. They didn't challenge us to be good at rhetoric, to actually be able to form ideas and then present them to people simply. And so we together, all of us, need to learn and grow in communication. Even if communication is your job, it was your degree, you need to learn how to communicate. If it's something that you've never been good at, or maybe, uh, maybe fear of man restrains you in some way from being able to communicate with people, you need to learn how to be encouraged and have some confidence and communicate. Why? Because we actually eat. We actually eat. We have something in us that needs to be able to communicate and realize that rhetoric is vital. We need to be teaching our kids to be good communicators. How, if they end up in the faith, will they be able to communicate and to evangelize if we have not told or taught them how to speak? Here's where I want to land this morning. I want to land in verse 21 because this is the verse that I think is most illuminating for all of us. Verse 21, look at it with me. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What that's saying is what we already know from Genesis, and that is that there is great power in words. God has actually created us and fashioned us, not without mouths, not without the ability to communicate, not without the ability to actually have something to say. He's designed us to be like him and to use words, and the words are supposed to be powerful and creative just like him. But so often they're not. Words have both the power of life and of death, and Solomon devotes much attention to the matter. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So there's our final point this morning, and that's that words have the power of both death and life. Words have the power of both death and life, and all of us know something about this. We know something about the death that is, uh, uh, at, uh, that is in the power of words because we've seen death in relational intimacy because we've said too much or we've said too little. We've gossiped, we've lied, we've used words as weapons and so that's where we need to move on to. Uh, the, these two final points are very brief so don't get too worried about it. We need to talk about where words fail. Where words fail. I'm going to turn very briefly over to James this morning. Uh, just to have something that I shared, with, uh, I shared with our leadership team this morning. And I want for you to be encouraged by it as well. James chapter 3 verses 3 through 10 say this. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest, pay attention to this, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set amongst our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has, yet, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human, no human being can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of death and poison. With it, we both bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. What, what, what do we learn here from James? We learn that God created us in his image with a mouth like his for life. But verse 21, back in Proverbs, says that it also has the power of death. James here is saying that we both bless God and we curse people who are made in his image. What, what is this all about? What is this forest all about? What it means is, is that we can praise the Father out of one side of our mouth and we can burn forests of relationship down out of the other side of our mouths. Here's what we need to understand is that forests take a long time to grow and they burn very quickly. The forest of trust in your marriage takes years to grow and to flourish. The forest of trust in your family takes a long time to grow and see saplings grow and girth and grow tall. The seeds of uh, trust that we sow into our friendships or with our coworkers or in our communities take decades to grow. And yet one conversation, one word can burn them all to the ground. That is what sin can do. And that's what we saw sin did in Genesis chapter 3. We ought to learn this lesson. The serpent's words scorched the souls of the human race. And what we need, what we need, beloved, is a word of life. Buried in these verses, I want to go back to Proverbs. So if you've, if you've moved there, I want to tell you what the word of life is. And I want to focus on verse 10 as we wrap up. Verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and a righteous man runs into it and is safe. For those of us that are very well acquainted with the power of death in the tongue, for those who have scorched earth with it, for those who have destroyed relationships with it, for those of us who go on social media and tear things down rather than build things up, we know the power of death that is in the tongue. Our mouths can scorch earth with poor words not carefully chosen, ill-intended, mean-spirited, and for that we can feel some sense of ownership of death. Pay attention to this, because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. For the whispering gossip that is here in this room, for the dramatic strife stir, for the sinfully verbose, for the foolishly opinionated, for the lying liar, for the coercer, for the manipulator, for the instigator, for the greedy deceiver that seeks to uh, sell someone something on false pretenses, for the false witness, for the blasphemer, where will you run? Where will you run? Verse 10 says that the name of the Lord is strong and it is safe. Let me ask you something. What is a name for? What is your name for? It's for speaking. It's for saying. If I say Josh Tyre, we know who we're talking about. If I say Sawyer Taylor, we know who we're talking about. 
It's to say the name. The name of the Lord is strong. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, no praise to any idol. His name is the Lord. But in Philippians chapter 2, we see this, that God has exalted Jesus. He has exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven or on earth by which we must be saved. I'm going to land on this. Romans chapter 10 has probably been ringing in some of your minds. You might be thinking, Chris, go there. Go to verse 8. See what it says. What is it saying? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, there's that connection that we talked about earlier. The things that are in your heart are going to come out of your mouth. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 13, for everyone, for everyone, beloved Pay attention to that word, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's in the name? It's knowledge. We know who he is. What's in the name of the Lord? It's a strong tower that the righteous man runs into and is safe. There is no salvation under any other name by which we might be saved. So the mouths of the wise say the name of the Lord. Jesus is inviting you this morning. Say my name. Say it out. Sing it out. Tell other people about it. Say, say my name. At, at, at City Church, we're going to say Jesus' name a lot. If you're new, if you haven't been here, like they talk a lot about Jesus. Why? Because there's no under name under heaven and on earth by which we can be saved. It's Jesus' name. That's the strong tower that we run into collectively at City Church. It's where we want to be. Jesus invites you this morning, say my name. If you've never said the name of Jesus this morning, that's all that you need to know. Call upon the name of the Lord. Believe in your heart that he was risen from the grave and you will be saved. For those of us who are chased around by uh, the scorched earth behind us that we've laid waste to with our mouths, for those of us who have spent the last several years tearing things down, do you know what the word sarcasm means? In Latin, the word sarcasm literally means to tear flesh. For those of us who have left uh, sarcastic comments uh, just tear apart relationships. For those of us who've taken the forest of trust in our marriages and we've set a small fire in there so that the whole thing might burn down over time. It's been very small. We don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be held accountable for it. It's the other person's fault, but it's just a little word. Say the name of Jesus. By it, we are saved.
So what do we do? What do we do with this? Not just for salvation, not just for uh, confession, but what do we do with this name? We worship by word. I mentioned earlier that uh, the weapons of this world are destructive. They're guns, bullets, bombs. For us, our worship, our worship is our weapon. We come in here uh, every Sunday and we get the opportunity to say his name, to sing it loud, to, to, to say, just say Jesus' name, to speak truth. The gospel is in the songs. Even if you don't feel it, if you're not feeling totally authentic with it, we do this as a liturgy that God might teach us by the words of our mouth to trust in his name. So we come to worship by word. We also, if life is in the word, if it's in our words, if there is power for both death and life in our words, tell people about Jesus. What are we doing? Why do we not take the opportunity to say the sweet and blessed name of Jesus over an entire city? Say his name, evangelize the culture. Tell them who salvation is named by. And finally, build up. You know what I don't see God using his words for? There are times where God brings entire desolation to cities. Do you know it? Those are fearful times. But I, I don't often see him using his words for it. It's not that he doesn't bring testing or condemnation of sin or have his prophets go and share the word. But you know what he does most often with the words of his mouth? It creates. He creates. Christians are creators. Not the creator, but we are recreators in Christ. Say his name. Build one another up. Encourage one another in Jesus Christ. Say the name of Jesus. Let us pray. God and Father, we thank you for the strong name of Jesus. Help us to see how righteous and life-giving your words are, how righteous your word, the incarnate word of Jesus is. He was in the beginning and he created all things. Let us see him, your righteous word, and be humbled. With our mouths, we burn things down, Father, and we confess that to you. But your words bring everlasting life. Help us in our weakness to see our need for the name of Jesus. Let us not justify, not rationalize, not coax ourselves or others into complacency with our words, but let us confess with our mouths the name of Jesus that we might be saved. For those who have called on him, give them assurance, give them confidence. Give them a word. Give them your word this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.